Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Roasted Games Podcast. I am Kaz Gable. And I'm Bill Price. And today we are going to continue our countdown of our personal collections as ranked by Board Game Geek. And uh, we're going to determine wow, on our collections what are our top 10 in the Board Game Geek rankings. Last week we did our 10 through 6, and today we're going to jump right back in and finish up our 5 through 1. Yeah. Yes. So I was thinking we could recap real quick, um, like my sure. my uh, ten through six. Um, it's Puerto Rico slash Dune Imperium. I haven't played Dune Imperium, so I went with Puerto Rico, which is ranked right below it. Uh, then Orleans at number nine, Viticulture at uh, number eight. Number seven was Arkham Horror, the card game, and number six is Seven Wonders Duel. All right. Mine was uh, Star Wars. So mine, mine actually, since we chatted, I realized that I hadn't updated a couple of games. <laughs> so I'm going to try to remember exactly what mine is. I, I know, but then also my numbers have actually been thrown up. So if you look at my collection, my number 10, Star Wars Imperial Assault, is actually my number 15, I think, at this point. Oh. <laughs> but I'm going to keep it there and not even bother with it because um, – it is my number 10, and that's what we started with, but also because the games I added, several of them I haven't even played anyway, so I think it's a, a moot point, and I'd prefer to talk to that one. Uh, but I started with Imperial Assault, and then I went down to, uh, let's see, three, three, six, seven, nine, ten. Uh, then I went down to Puerto Rico, uh, Arkham Horror, the card game, Concordia, and Terra Mystica. Yes. Yes. All the really so, light party games we've gotten yes. out of the way. <laughs> yeah, the ones you throw on the table with new people who've never played games before. You're going to love Terra Mystica, guys. If you, like, <laughs> you think you liked Operation, just wait until oh, Terra Mystica. Boy. <laughs> <laughs> so we just got done with Wits and Wagers. Who's up for a, just a slightly heavier game? Uh, yeah, that's quite a <laughs> quite a dense one coming at you for sure. But uh, but yeah, this has been fun. It's been nice to go back and um, some of these. You know, we were talking last episode about how some of these we haven't played for a while, and so it's kind of cool to sort of um, see where they are in the rankings and be surprised. Honestly, some of these I was really surprised. I think we were talking about Seven Wonders um, and or Seven Wonders or Seven Wonders Duel. I can't remember which Seven one Wonders was Duel. Seven Duel. Okay, and that's ranked so high in the rankings, like an 16. insanely. Yeah, insane level for that game. It's not a bad game by any means, but is it the 16th best game of all time? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but it's been fun to see how these rank. And then also um, for me, kind of a uh, couple of my Concordia. Um, since we've talked, I actually got Concordia at the table again. And I have been on the table to pick up the Salsa expansion for a long time and it kind of left my mind as, as I hadn't played it for a bit but replaying it sort of reminded me how much I love it and I ended up picking it up I found it on sale so <laughs> nice. now I can add that to the collection and it'll be even farther down on the list maybe I don't know how high ranks <laughs> but but yeah let's jump into it let's see where we are uh, let's see I think I kicked it off last time do you want to start us off this time sure sure um, warning in advance all five of these games are really big dense heavy games <laughs> uh, the some, who'd imagine that a site called Board Game Geek would uh, would favor large, dense, gamery games? <laughs> right. Um, but these are perhaps the largest and densest uh, among the largest and densest that I own. So, 
Um, starting off with actually the least heavy and dense of all of these, uh, at Board Game Geek rank number 14 is Scythe by Stonemaier yes. Games. It's actually my second Stonemaier game on this list. Um, I, I have sort of a, a back and forth love hate with Scythe. Um, I'm not even sure if you remember playing Scythe with us. The, I but, remember uh, about 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I uh, I went through kind of a phase where I really, really enjoyed it um, <clears throat> for for a few different reasons. But but overall, like uh, I've really chilled on it on uh, the last year or two, and. It just doesn't sparkle like I think it used to. And maybe it's a, a replayability issue. Um, obviously, I, I don't have any of the expansions. Uh, if I am not super excited about a game, I don't I don't think an expansion... You should need an expansion to make it better. Uh, so I haven't gone down that path. So maybe that's uh, some of it. Maybe that's addressed. But uh, I like what Scythe does in that it's not... It it's it feels like a war game, but it's very much not a war game. In fact, they're it, going and fighting a lot can actually be very punishing. Inside can really put you back um, quite a bit. I find that uh, my best sure. scores are kind of when we sort of all leave each other alone, and uh, or when I play with a few other people who are really heavy-handed and want to fight everybody except me, and I can sort of slide to victory um so so i I like that aspect of it uh and i really like the like selection mechanisms uh, and i like how the factions play differently um it just i I don't know maybe for the same reason why blood rage doesn't scratch whatever itch for me that it should uh scythe just doesn't anymore i have it as a a seven is the mm, okay. what I gave it? Uh, Board Game Geek has it uh, as an eight point oh seven. So we're we're definitely off by a full point there. So I think Scythe is uh, is somewhat overrated. It's a good game, and if somebody really wanted to play it, I wouldn't like fight somebody to not play it. Uh, I doubt that I would probably be going out to suggest it, uh, which is kind of what a seven is. If somebody offers to play it, you know you you. Well, sure. but um, what are your thoughts on side? You know, yeah, I haven't played it <laughs> really beyond the one epic historic playthrough that we've referenced before on the show that I don't remember most of it anyway. Um, but I did have like that experience kind of, yeah, I got this, a sense of it, but I've heard that before too, is that, you know, as a game that sort of pre- presents itself as this, like, you know, these kind of battle of titans of these societies that are clashing over dominance of this land and you know heavily the marketing was heavily about the mechs and the um, steampunk aspect of this and i have heard that before where it seems like there's people were surprised by what scythe is and like you said it's a it's an engine builder with development and um it's kind of like a 4x game i guess or it has big elements of it and the mechs sort of are almost a, a red herring. They're they're fluke. Like you really 
don't want to use them because you'll slow yourself down. It's the whole thing of do I do something that's better for me or do I get some in the way of someone else and hope that ha- helps me? Well, that's more complicated and that's going to affect you negatively. And so it's almost that that sense of like um, what's it called? Oh yeah, what's the nuclear mutually assured destruction? Like that's all yes. the that's all the mechsars. Just oh yeah, well if you fight me, I'm gonna take my mechs and fight you, and then you're just in a scrabble while everyone else moves past you. Yeah, they seem to be more of a deterrent than they are anything else. Like you put your mechs in places where you don't want people to come, like badger your workers. You know. Right. Uh, this could easily have been rethemed as like uh, just a straight up farming game. Where you right. just have like you know a militia or something instead of the max, uh, the <laughs> giant just stand aggressive guard. cow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go over to that pasture. <laughs> yeah. So, but so it, it didn't. Uh, a lot of the elements that I think are so neat about it, which like the theme and and all that, and the max, really do seem like kind of unrelated and detached from the game to me. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the mechanics are good. Don't get me wrong. I, I like the mechanisms a lot. Um, it just it, there's there's some kind of disconnect for me on it, and I I don't know what it is. But that's uh, that's my number five side. Yeah, side. All right. Yeah, I would like to play it again. I uh, I would like to take another crack at it. But uh, now I now the person that I know who has it doesn't live anymore anymore. So I mean, next time, <laughs> some other time we we'll get back. Come yeah, visit. or that. Yeah, I'll come out to visit Kentucky. Yeah. I was going to say that um, every single episode, and eventually, <laughs> eventually somebody will just guilt be like, Cass, to do it. <laughs> Cass, seriously, just go visit him. For He's love not going to stop. We're sick of hearing it, if nothing He's else. He's not going to stop. <laughs> Fair enough. I would love to come check it out. Um, all right, let's see. My number five is uh, the a classic game from way back in 2011. This is one that I always think is actually from before then, but it's uh, 2011, and that is The Castles of Burgundy. Um, the Castles of Burgundy is a game that you've probably heard of if you've been gaming for any period of time or referenced. It's a Steffenfeld classic, and I think it's the one that's kind of – I mean, he's got a lot of amazing games under his belt, but it's definitely the one that really um, – that's I don't his know, I flagship think maybe, game. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's no like question. The, yeah, the pinnacle of like Steffenfeld. When you think Steffenfeld, you closely associate him with Castles of Burgundy beyond anything else. So Castles is still great. It's a game that's inspired different version spinoffs. So there's the card version. There is a roll and write version, which I have. I have the main, ver- the original, and then the roll and write. And I know you have the card. Is that correct? I have the card. Yep, I have the card version, and it is gigantic. Yes. Like you <laughs> Did need not you save need, any space. <laughs> yeah, I think you need almost need a bigger table to play the the card game version uh, than you do the actual big box version. So, right. so if you're looking for something like small you can take to a bar or something like that, this is not uh, the the card game version is not your Huckleberry. Yeah, yeah, it's um. It's. I've heard that as well. I've not played the card version, but I've heard it's well. And I heard that it, that it plays. You know, all of the versions of Castles of Burgundy, I think, do a good job of capturing the Castles of Burgundy feel and and what makes the game great or the games great. So, excuse me. Um, but yeah, Castles. I think it's listed at. Let me back up here. It's listed at. Um, oops. Of course, that thing just reset on me. Yeah, give me a second. I'll tell you what it's listed at. But I think it holds up as a game quite well these days it's showing its age maybe a little bit uh as it's 10 years old at this point but i i've played this somewhat recently and still really really enjoyed it i think it it 
it feels pretty contemporary. Uh, it's listed at 15. So uh, it's one position better than <laughs> Seven Wonders Duel <laughs> in, yeah, in gonna, game design. I, I think personally, like uh, you talked about, it's aging, uh, showing its age a little bit. But I, I'm going to be honest, every Steffenfeld game like shows its age like as soon as it's published. Right. <laughs> His stuff yeah. just has an older Euro feel to even like the brand new stuff. Like when uh, Carpe Diem came out. It immediately felt like an older classic. It felt like it came out at the same time or before that. That's why you're like, oh, I, it came out in 2011. I thought it was before that. And yeah, it feels like it was before that. So it's uh, yeah. They all of his games feel like they're from like the 90s. So uh, but yeah, they're, they're it really good. does. It's weird. They're mechanically <laughs> sound for sure. Yeah, they all feel like these like uh, thrift store treasures that you've discovered. <laughs> and right. It's like, oh wow, this cropping! Wow, this is really good. <laughs> this must have been ahead of its time. Oh, never mind. It's exactly uh, at its time. Yeah, it no, just it was, is. <laughs> it was actually yeah, it was behind the time a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. There's something about it. There is some some that one thing that's great about him. He does sort of has a, t- a timeless sort of classic a game approach. A lot of designers feel like they are not, this isn't a bad thing, but they feel like they're definitely trying to like create a modern game or. or Pick a spin on modern uh, mechanisms and approaches to game design, and, and it feels that way. And a lot of times, it's really good. A lot of times, it's sort of like, oh, you tried a little too hard here to make something work. But Stefan just is known for do- designing very um, fluid games that have a lot of point salad. Of course, is kind of what he's known for. Mm-hmm. But they're very fluid, and the mechanisms just flow very smoothly between each other. It's really fascinating how he designs. But, um, yeah, Castles of Burgundy. I think this definitely stands up. I have played this one somewhat recently, and it's one that I – it does these days kind of get overshadowed by other games in my collection that I reached for maybe before this one. But I still really like this game. I would play this game at any moment, and I definitely um, suggest it here and there when my wife and her are trying to think of something to play because my wife really likes this game as well. Yeah, I um, when I played uh, the card game with Kirsten, she liked it. And and the card game does very much feel like the big box game. It's uh, sure. it's not a lot shorter. It's certainly not any smaller. So, um, so yeah, a timeless classic. Um, nice. So my number four is number ten on Board Game Geek. I am officially in the top ten. So my top four games are all in the top ten. Um, and this is Great Western Trail. Which is mm, yeah really good. I I this is probably out of my top five. This is my second favorite game of uh, among them. I really like Great Western Trail. Uh, it's Alexander Pfister, right? Mm-hmm, I think so. Yeah, who did uh, also did Blackout Hong Kong, which is among my absolute favorites um, of all time. And uh, I just I I really really like it it um at first it doesn't come across quite as dense as it really is and it is dense uh it is a a heavy big heavy euro-esque game but it feels more fun when you when you are playing it i i think um now, it could be because i'm forgetting half the rules sometimes uh, things are way more fun when they're easy but uh but it just it, it it's it's very smooth and and everything kind of makes sense and there's uh the good thematic ties and i like the fact that you can uh 
you kind of have your own little like worker placement areas that you build while you're you're going down the trail and you can kind of build yourself uh, a nice cattle ranching engine and um, it just feels feels like uh feels good and it it, it does it, in in non-typical euro fashion it actually does uh it captures the theme very well i feel like it feels like you are like cattle ranchers and yeah i, I think certainly more than like some games like <coughs> i'm gonna toss out Catan because i use that for everything um what what are you even doing you're just like building right. cities <laughs> i guess or like i don't it doesn't feel like that it just feels like you're rolling dice and it's you're basically playing like space space but with building cities um (laughs) but this this feels like to me more uh it's kind of kind of how i wish more euro games would uh would treat their themes and actually kind of put some thought into hey does this mechanism work with the theme because uh his does this this one does, and I think he does a good job with that with, uh, with all of his games, with Mombasa and uh, Blackout Hong Kong. I think he does a really yeah. good job. Yeah, this game is awesome. I, I um, This is one I don't own, but I've played it a couple times before, and I really love it. Yeah, like you said, I think the greatest part about it is it actually feels like you're on a, you know, the cattle, the route of the cat life cycle of the cattle rancher and, and the, the cowboys and the cattle themselves. You're taking them on the all over the country and getting them shipped to market. Then you're going through and meeting up at, with different um, locations to pick up resources. It's just such a great, like, cool idea of traveling this trail around and where do you stop and why do you stop there and you got to think of that but the whole point you're still trying to get these cattle to market i mean it sounds like such an odd theme for a game but it works so well and it is really fun uh it's also of course known for its uncanny valley-esque cover art yes (laughs) really for better (laughs) or worse draws the eye (laughs) it yeah the 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 cover art is is absurd um, <laughs> it's just I can't even des- yeah I, I can't even describe it uh, obviously if you're listening to a board game podcast you're probably well aware of this cover but um, yeah it uh, sometimes if you catch it on the right day like you can't stop looking at it it's just, no they all have the same eyes what's happening? <laughs> and basic, basic facial features it's yeah. kind of like uh, Planet of the Apes style like makeup <laughs> it seems like they were just there's just something this slightly odd and there's nothing like alexander uh or Andre, i'm sorry andreas resch i think is his name um he and alexander fister did the art for this and andreas resch has done art for like a lot of games he's done a lot of art uh hadara he's done art for he's done art for uh istanbul uh and i actually went back when we uh as soon as you were t- brought it up i'm like i'm gonna look at some of the other games and istanbul has the same guy <laughs> on the cover so i think it's i think he's an amazing artist but the his faces are very interesting like side by side they, it's the same face um so to just rib him a bit but but yeah it, it it really stands out and i think part of the reason is just sort of like one of those things you know when sort of a weirdness isn't necessarily a bad thing because you're sort of like drawn to it so people are like what is this game of these three androids yeah. from wearing wester garb staring at me yeah it's like it's like looking at those uh those pictures of like um like dogs with human teeth right it's just like oh, right what, right you just cannot stop is, and you just yeah you just can't look away you're like whoa 
this is intense. <laughs> I don't understand what's <laughs> happening. But uh, but I gave this one. Uh, I rate rate this one an eight. Um, so I definitely enjoy it, and uh, with the right group, would happily bring it out. Um, BGG ranks it as an eight point one two eight. So I think we are almost identical in agreement here. This would probably be not my fifth best game, fifth favorite game of all time, but it would probably be in my top 10 or 15. So, uh, hmm, so okay. definitely I, I, I really enjoy it. I really, really do. Yeah. Yeah. I think this one definitely deserves its spot for sure. It's, it's a, it's a great game. And, uh, there's, once again, there's nothing quite like it and it did, um, it feels very, very deserving of, of where it is for sure. All right, my number four is uh, we're getting into my heavy territory now, and this is Twilight Struggle. So uh, Twilight Struggle is a game that came back way back in 2005. It is a two-player game, which is you don't see a lot of outside of, uh, uh, well, I guess this is a GMT game, so that makes sense. <laughs> I was going to say outside of GMT games, but you don't see a lot of like heavy two-player games. GMT is kind of specializes in making not all their games are two-player, but they they specialize in heavier games, and um, this one is no exception. But it is also uh, an astoundingly good design. What is happening in this game is you are one of two sides of the Cold War. Uh, you were either the United States or the Soviet Union, and you basically are jockeying for military, political, and territorial might in, throughout the Cold War. And it's just astoundingly good in design. Uh, you're, you're playing cards to, the, to affect the game state. All of the cards are historical events that actually happened in the Cold War. But the difference is, of course, that they might happen in different orders or at different um, – uh, have different effects when they're played out in this alternate history of the Cold War. And it is just an immensely rich, deep world that really hits its theme on the money. I, I've played very few games that encompass their theme this well um, that the, than this game does. And so it is ranked at uh, number 13. And um, yeah, I don't know. I I think this game is an amazingly good design game. And I think it definitely deserves a top spot. I think the top the right around here is about right for me personally. But it is interesting to me that a two-player super dense game falls in this high. But I guess it really doesn't have anything to do with player count. It's just, you know, quality of design. So, um, yeah, I, 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 I would have – if you would have asked me, I would have guessed it would have been around this high. But I wouldn't have maybe guessed it exactly. But I think it, it does deserve its spot where it is pretty closely. Yeah, no, I I agree. It's uh, the theme is is absolutely on point, and the um, it's it's very much one of those games, uh, kind of similar to has like a chess vibe to it to me, and that you can um, the more you play it, the better you get. Yeah, because you you see how things combo, and you like uh, you know kind of what cards do, and and what's more advantageous, and you've kind of seen the different phases of the game and um it's yeah like if you're if you've played this you know a dozen times and this is like your game you're going to demolish anybody you play the first few times for right. for sure um which which to me i i don't know if that's a plus or a minus i love i love chess don't get me wrong um but but i've been playing chess for a long long time so i i'm, I'm pretty decent at chess so uh 
but obviously I don't want to go play, you know, an international master, nor do I want to go play somebody who I just taught the game to. Um, so, so I think that, that this one personally, I don't own it because I, I think I would have a, a lot of trouble getting it to the table. Yeah. Yeah, and my what the version I own is actually a digital version, and the main reason I decided to buy that one is um, I can play it with a, an AI on the version, <clears throat> and I just same reason I didn't buy the physical. Although I've debated on doing it because I think my wife would like this game, but it is it's a time commitment. It's it's definitely something that is hard to get to the table. <laughs> it's a two hour minimum game and for two players i mean when you get it to the table it's an amazing and rich experience it sort of feels like a game you'd have like a nice glass of scotch over (laughs) while you're playing (laughs) you know one of those just sort of like settle into the world of twilight struggle but not you know that's a rarity for most of us i think in getting a game like that with that density and it's also one that shines like you said when you've got more than one experience under your belt so if you're playing with the same person here and there that's pretty cool because you're like all right we're gonna head-to-head cold war it again and see who comes out on top uh, and there's a lot of replayability here, but yes, it is hard to get to the table. So, uh, straight up design, I definitely think it get, it deserves its spot, but that considered how often this game is actually getting played. I always wonder that, especially with GMT games, which are all very heavy. Uh, I know there's huge hardcore fan base for, for these types oh, of games. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very dedicated. Yeah, extremely dedicated. Yeah, it's it's pretty, it's pretty impressive actually how how focused people are and how deep love of these types of games. And I, I appreciate it too. These historical games, it is really amazing how they're able to um, kind of bring out in a very deep way, deeper than most games, what the experience of living there through those uh, historical times would have been like. Obviously, in a game form of that, it's not real. But right. I played a couple other ones, and it's it's impressive. But I definitely think Twilight Struggle. Um, of the ones I've played, stands out as being quite, quite, uh, quite high, and it deserves its spot. I also think it probably came out at the one of the best times uh, for GMT because um, I don't. I, I guess I could look, but I'm not sure if they have any others in the top like 25 right now. I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so either. Or at least maybe the top. They might have something in the top 50. I'll take a peek, but. But yeah, if you are looking for that, if you are looking for just a heavy, nice, satisfying head-to-head game, then um, Twilight Struggle is, is definitely something I can recommend. It kind of also satisfies the itch of a lot of Civ builders, in my mind. Um, I like Civ games, but I also feel like a lot of them kind of blend together for me. This gives me the sense of that. I'm not starting, obviously, from like a tribal uh, barbaric society up until modern times. But you are starting and grappling with technological advancement, uh, political advancement, and military advancement. And you have to balance those. So it has that feeling of a Civ game without obviously being a Civ game. it's It sort of scratches a lot of itches. Yeah, and if you ever want to uh, to play it but only have it take like 15, 20 minutes, uh, you can always go buy Twilight Squabble. Yes, yeah. I have not tried to check it out yet. Which is, uh, I, I can't really say it's the two-player card game version because like I think the regular version is the two-player version. But... Um, but it's it's smaller, but it has a lot of the same, uh, like it's the same basis in that that it it has different events um, from the Cold War that can be played in different ways at different times in different orders that can affect things very differently each game, um, and it's basically like a small tug of war game 
as soon as somebody gets their counter to one side or the other, that, that side wins. So it's, uh, it's about 15, 20 minutes um, and has a, a similar feel theme-wise. Um, Gameplay-wise, it, it's, it's fairly different, but, um, but I think it, it, it certainly scratches that itch without you having to set aside two hours and a bottle of scotch. Right. Yes. Right. <laughs> and sometimes you need that. Sometimes you need that. Right. We talked last time about kind of like fall games and that I think this doesn't like have any like spookiness to it, but there's just something about settling in and, and uh, when the weather's cooling down. And that's that definitely makes me want to play this game for sure. So I feel like the Cold War could be fairly spooky. Um, I bet it was actually. The right it's full of paranoia. And... <laughs> under the right circumstances. Yes, I I could see that for sure. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm just honestly, I'm glad I'm looking down here as we've been talking. I don't see any other GMT game. At least I'm in the 70s now and I don't see any other ones. So I am glad GMT gets some representation up top here because they are a very niche game production um, company, but they do make really solid games. But it is a very specific taste for those games. So it is nice to see one of their golden champions up here uh, being recognized as uh, one of the best game designs in the top uh, let's see, where is it? It's a 13. Yeah, in the top 15. So I, I definitely think they deserve to be have a spot up here. So this is a nice. good candidate to be up. It was up also, in that it, uh, it was number two for, gosh, at least a year, uh, maybe yeah. even longer. So it, it used to be, it's, it's definitely fallen, um, but it, it used to be exceptionally well represented um, here. Yeah. So it's definitely got a, a ton of fans, uh, deservedly so. Yeah, it's fast. It's kind of fascinating to think about like how, why that was because GMT games come out. There's fanfare, but it's very much they don't hit a lot of depth beyond their, um, you know, their existing kind of supporters and the people who like those games, those deep games. So it, it is interesting. To, I wonder what what made it hit so hard. <laughs> if well, it just happened to be the time. It got fantastic reviews. It's the only GMT game that I can really think of that, uh, like Tom Vassell on the Dice Tower played and loved like it's in at least it was for a while in his top 10 of all time yeah so so like and that's not like he's not a a, what i would think of as like a war gamer or he's not gonna go play you know coin games or whatever it's just not uh his his style but uh he really really enjoyed and and a whole bunch of people other people did so i think it just hit a sweet spot where it didn't feel like a war game yeah. Uh, even though kind of at its core, it is. Um, yeah, that's and- true. And I guess there's some there's some um, it's it's kind of like GMT's version of a popular of a like a pop pop game. <laughs> right. It's their version of a simple game. And it's still a three point five nine out of five in complexity. <laughs> and it's yeah, the best and, they could do. Yeah. And deserving every bit of it because it, it is a dense game for sure. Yeah, yeah, but it is more approachable than the other the other ones, so that makes sense. So, yeah, that is true. I forgot that Tom um, had a rank so high as well. Yeah. All right. Well, my number three. Speaking of Civ games, where you start as you know roving barbarians, um, <laughs> my number three is ranked number nine on Board Game Geek, and it is Through the Ages, a new story of civilization. Uh, it's particularly the second edition, and I I have it. It is basically like playing Sid Meier's Civilization, but 
on a board game. Um, <laughs> it's very abstracted. Uh, it doesn't always feel like you're raising a civilization. Uh, but then again, neither really did the computer game um, to an extent. Um, this this game is is uh, it's fun and it, it's got a strong support base and and I like it okay. It's incredibly long. It's like three plus hours long, um, especially what if you play with like three or four people. Four people you could bust out in five hours. Um, I've played it two player and three player and have never gotten it below three hours. Um, so so it's that's kind of one mark against it for me uh it does what it does very well but i think it kind of outstays its welcome a little bit and uh and in some cases can be sort of like dense for density's sake and uh and i feel like another pass through like if a third edition came out and it was streamlined to be played in two you know two hours or something like that 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 i think I would probably enjoy it a lot more. It's a big time commitment for, to be honest, very little payoff personally. Um, so I have it uh, ranked as a seven. Uh, so I, along the same lines as Scythe, if uh, if somebody really wants to play it and we have an <laughs> afternoon, um, then <laughs> sure, I'll uh, I'll play it. I won't like fight you over it. Uh, but I'm never gonna run downstairs and grab it and run up and go, Hey, I have just a game for us. Uh, it's just <laughs> not going to happen. So, um, and board game geek very much disagrees with me. Uh, they have it rated as an 8.161. Yeah. And, uh, is that, it's actually fallen, uh, some because I think it used to be number three or four, uh, at one point in time. So, uh, but still strong. It, it, to me, it it is probably one of the best big Civ games out there. Um, I've played sure. some of the other ones, like um, like the the newest uh, Civilization one, uh, like the new New Dawn or whatever. Um, I've played uh, Sid Meier's Civilization. I've played a couple other big giant like two plus hour. Uh, Civ games, and this is probably the best of all of them. Um, and and I like Civ games. Uh, it's just it's too much uh, for not enough payoff. Right. Sure. So. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I've never played this one. I I've almost picked this one up a couple times because it does get it's so well regarded. But the thing that has stopped me is that that it is such a commitment and. I like Civ games, but it's definitely not my favorite type of big game. And so it kind of felt like, would I want to put this on the table or really make the effort? I mean, I'd like to play it, but if I own it, I feel, you know, you feel pressure to get it played, to get it to the table. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. I would like to try it someday, though. It, it is really well regarded. Yeah, if I had like a weekly Saturday group where we would just get together for six hours every Saturday and play a couple big, dense games, I would probably bring this one and be like, hey, guys. This seems like right up everybody's alley. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, I, I almost never think, oh, this is what I want to play. So my uh, my urge to play this is uh, is pretty gone at this point. Yeah. 
All right. Let's see. Um, all right. So my next one down the line, my number three is a game that I have only played. I've only soloed this game to kind of learn the ins and outs, but I am, uh, I've been talking to my wife about, Hey, I really want to get this played. So let's set aside an afternoon, one weekend and, and get this on the table. And that is spirit Island. Uh, spirit Island is number 11 on BGG's list. And you know, it's, Excuse me. It is a game that I am very fascinated with. It's a cooperative, a very difficult and dense cooperative game. Uh, one of the reviews that I've watched, or actually a couple of them, sort of alluded to this: that it, the because it's a dense and difficult cooperative game, it's really it's listed at one to four, but the best is probably in the two to three area, just because there's so much interconnectivity and in the game and there is a lot going on that once you have four people it actually it makes it just too insane to try to figure out how to best do your turns because there's coordination here you're each representing an island spirit and you in this case are against the humans you do not want human development so the humans are explorers or conquistadors or what have you and they are coming to your island and starting to set up towns and cutting down forests and shoving the native peoples off their land and um creating waste that creates blight on the land so you are just getting these horrifying alien invaders off of your precious beautiful island (laughs) and trying to terrify them into leaving or create tidal waves to wash away their towns and also cleaning up their blight so i really love the idea of humans being the sort of like invading disgusting (laughs) force (laughs) on the beautiful this beautiful untouched island and then you're trying to defend it um so the creativity of the approach and the theme there is really what drew me to drew me to the game and then i love co-op games i really really like co-op games but i I think i'm pretty choosy about them um and this one just seemed like it was very fascinating that you are kind of both doing your own thing so each spirit is focused in one way. So there's like a water spirit, a stone spirit, a forest spirit, a, just a, a basic like nature or emotional uh, – it's like a hunter spirit or something like that. Um, so they each approach their own way. Some of them are more can react more quickly. Some of them, of course, as you'd imagine, like the stone spirit is very powerful, but it's sort of slow to build up its processes and react to these humans invading. And um, yeah, it's just a really cool design. Uh, and I, I haven't, like I said, I haven't played it with anyone else. I've played it with myself and had fun with it, but I want to play it with someone else. <laughs> so I think it, I think it earns its spot. I don't know if it's necessarily 11th best game ever, but I think it's very, very well designed and very, very unique in what it does, especially in the co-op game, um, category. Yeah. I've seen, uh, I, it, it's gotten a lot, a lot of great reviews, so I've heard nothing but good things about it. Um, and, and it is one thing that, yeah, that, that you hear from everybody is this is really heavy as far as, uh, it's difficult to explain. Everyone wants to play it, but nobody wants to teach it. Uh, and, and yeah, it's that, that whole interconnectivity of, you know, what is the best turn when everything kind of affects everything else. And, uh. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of fascinated because usually you don't see solo games that are dense like that, or not solo games, right. uh, cooperative games. You don't see co- yeah, really yeah. dense cooperative games. Usually they're they're fairly simple. When when somebody says, "Oh, it, it, 
this is a new co-op game, my mind immediately goes to, you know, complexity of two or less, you know? Uh, sure. I'm thinking pandemic at its most severe. Uh, but it's, um, yeah, the idea, this idea of a really dense, really difficult um, co-op game just really, really excites me. Yeah, it's cool. It's 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 definitely well when I move, when I eventually get over there to Kentucky, this will be one we'll get to the table. <laughs> we'll play two games, but it'll be like eight hours of gaming. <laughs> 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 yeah, I think you'd really like this one. It is fascinating. Like it it does once again, and I'm kind of like I'm looking sort of at the list of um, the top ten right now, and I think all of them do an amazing job of bringing their theme to life. And I think that's kind of the common denominator because there's quite a variety up the, up there. But there's what they do – or I mean, actually, I guess it's the top 11, but we can even expand it to the top 15 probably. And this one does it because it, it's interesting. The humans, they're not you know, they're not necessarily couched as like an evil presence. They're just doing what they do as humans do, and they're just sort of not aware <laughs> that they're sullying this existing island of uh, this uh, you know, um, environment that already has all these interdependencies and stuff like that. They're just kind of doing what they're doing. That's what humans do. They explore, they build towns, they build cities, and they expand, right. but they also make trash. And so from your perspective, as very this ancient, slow-moving force, you're kind of like overwhelmed by basically like these fast-moving little ant creatures that are all over your island all of a sudden. Yeah, and... keep cutting your trees down to build exactly. yeah. to sleep. Yeah. But you move so slow at the beginning like your reaction it really does a good job of kind of giving the sense of that you're this massive ancient presence that sort of is slow to react and get it going to respond to this rapid threat that it takes a minute to build up it takes a few turns to really kind of build up your engine and and cycle and and it, it i think that's a bit of a a lot of games just start off quick. This one definitely doesn't. And I love that about this game. And I also think it lessens the ability to quarterback in the early days because you're sort of building your own engine. How do you want to decide? How do you want to respond to this? Uh, depending on who you might be playing with. If I'm an earth spirit, do I want have an, a water spirit who's quicker? So maybe we talk about it. Well, how do we respond to this? So it actually discourages quarterbacking and encourages a lot of real good back and forth of deciding how how you both can have uh, a good approach here without someone being like you do this you do that it's like well i could but i also can't necessarily do all the things that i want to do i have to make some decisions here that are mine to make and i really i was impressed by that nice okay um well my number two is my Certainly my favorite game amongst the top, my top five. No, no question. Um, and I have this ranked as a nine. Uh, it is one of my top, probably top ten, maybe top five favorites of all time. Board Game Geek has it listed as an 8.173. So we differ on this a little bit. But it's ranked number eight in the Board Game Geek top, you know, whatever so they (laughs) everybody really likes it and that's star wars rebellion ah yeah i am a huge ridiculously huge star wars fan as is um and this game is exactly what everyone calls it which is star wars in a box this is you can (laughs) 
do a lot of the same things that happen, events that happen in the movie, just in different orders. Like you can send, you know, yeah, Han Solo to Dagobah to train with Yoda. You could do like all sorts of neat things that that happen. Um, and overall, it's uh, effectively it is a hidden movement game. Um, it's a guess where the uh, guess where the rebel base is game uh, at its core, but it does so many other neat things uh, outside of just this one uh, one thing that it's it's just so much fun. Uh, it's it really is. It's uh, you feel like you're playing in a Star Wars movie, and it just it captures that essence and just really takes the theme. And, and runs with it. Uh, there isn't anything in here that you're like, oh, well, that doesn't make any sense. Um, it's just, it's pure fun. If you love Star Wars, this is your favorite game ever. If, uh, if you don't care one way or the other about Star Wars, this is a fine game. If you hate Star Wars, <laughs> this is really not your, your deal. You should probably <laughs> yeah uh, why did you bring a, this to the table <laughs> yeah a you should you should go watch the movies again because you've obviously missed something um but if you still don't like star wars yeah this isn't your gig yeah i've heard so many amazing this is a game i really really want to play and um once again it's a two-player so it's one of the it's a heavy two-player game a head-to-head competition between the empire and the rebels but it also my understanding is it's not it hits uh, some of the similar kind of like we were saying about Twilight Struggle where it hits um, references in the movies but when those things happen it might not happen in the order you're expecting and so right. there's a lot of recognizable events but they might play out differently and I really love it when IPs play with the, will play with their own history <laughs> and are able to kind of still make it exciting and new because everyone knows the movies at this point everyone knows the beats of the movies but right. it's just like whoa well, what if luke had to confront the empire earlier on what would that do you know all uh, these different ways yeah. of doing it so that's really cool this one is just amazing and the production value it, like if you are a star wars fan oh my gosh this production value is just ridiculous on this game yeah it it really is it, it really is it can also be played there there is it, it can technically be played two or four player oh really um because you can each each team can have like two people it's it's basically it's like it's like teams (laughs) okay so it's it's two player the same way that like um you know four players same way that like bridge is four player right it's so not realistically (laughs) it's like two sides against each other but right yeah so but technically like they do have they do have rules for a four player teams version uh, oh well that's cool that they actually differ slightly but um but yeah effectively it's a two-player game kind of like uh think of um with the jack the ripper one um letters Uh, from Whitechapel. Yeah. yeah so letters from Whitechapel theoretically is just a two-player game (laughs) there's jack and there's the other guys and you can have other players play some of the other guys but they don't need to there's no real essential purpose to it at its core it's a two-player game and this one at its core is also uh, a two-player game Um, but a great two-player game possibly my favorite two-player game yeah, I. Uh, this is one I really love to play. So, all right, we got three. We got three for Kentucky Visit, yeah, <laughs> and all of bam. them are like four hours each. So, 
just if you show up for a week, we can get at least <laughs> six games in. <laughs> I want to stop playing games and drinking bourbon. It's too much at this point. It was so fun, but now I can't. No, I, no sense of space or time. <laughs> yeah, you can't drink bourbon the entire time we're playing. Games. <laughs> right? Yeah, uh, probably no more die. than like the first couple hours, to be honest yeah. for me. But, but uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. I um, I'm trying to think. I don't think anyone uh, else that I know. I was thinking maybe Brandon has this one, but I don't think he does. I think this I one. I don't think he does either. Yeah, I don't think there's a lot of people I know with this one. So you might be the only person. I love it. It's great. Super game. All right. Let's see. My next super game is a game. This is number three on BGG. I'm rocketing up to number three after number eleven, Spirit Island. Um, oh. Third best game of all time and that is brass birmingham um this game i think is got i i i'm not saying it doesn't deserve, deserve its spot i love this game but i definitely feel like as a game that came out in 2018 it also is getting a bit of the cult of the new hype um for its position so i'll be curious to see uh where it kind of kind of settles over the next few years but you know it's already been three years and it's still at number three so i guess that says something uh brass birmingham is a game of industrial uh the uh industrial evolution so it takes place i'm not exactly sure when it takes place but 1800 some at some point and you are a industrialist in england and it is a game of developing your network of businesses and industries to work well together but also what makes this game shine is that it is not just about you doing your little engine and industrial revolution on your own it is the fact that everyone is benefiting from the in the industrial revolution at the same time so your businesses not only service you but anyone can use your businesses and a lot of times are required to if you have uh, iron that's being made well you are the only game in town making iron guess what someone has to buy iron from you and if you sell out of your iron you get heavy bonuses for selling out or pulling your business through to fruition of whatever it does creates goods or textiles it creates coal um, beer a variety of different things in this game so it's all about producing things and having them pay off but you also are using your own resources. So it's this amazing balance of interconnectivity in a very – it's dense, but I wouldn't say this game – I think this game gets a reputation of being denser than it is. It's not light, but I think it's very approachable and logical. The, but the density comes with sort of the interconnectivity of the market and the resources and how that works. But once you kind of get it down, it makes sense because there is a heavy, heavy logic to it. It's not like a Euro game where it's just like, this means this. Why? Because we say it does. It's like, uh, <laughs> and shut up <laughs> about it. That doesn't make worry. any sense. <laughs> <laughs> you stop talking. Play it or don't. We don't care. Um, but it makes sense because it's all based around the uh, the designers really based it around sort of the requirements of of production and industry at this time period. So, um, you know, water was not safe to drink, so you needed to produce beer, and beer was a heavy part of day to day of life of everybody. But especially if you're building a factory or have workers at a factory, they need beer. They don't need water, so you actually need <laughs> beer as an asset to develop your industry, which is sort of fascinating. If you're making um, coal, coal can get anywhere because it's a light resource. So you can transport coal all around the map, no problem. But as soon as you're making iron, iron is heavy and there was less of a need at this time period for iron. So iron 
would have to be uh, just uh, so, so iron is uh, I'm sorry I actually reversed these coal is large amounts because you're burning coal constantly it was very obviously polluting heavy pollution area so you're massive amounts of coal so you're loading train cars with coals but iron was not required as much they weren't using as much um, iron so that that the amount of iron you would need would just be thrown on uh, a, court, a horse cart and taken through the streets and so you can still get iron very easily around um, anyway all these little things these little minutiae that bring this era to life and are just amazing and I, I love the fact that you're dependent not only on what you're doing but you're also looking to see what else people are people doing and you taking iron from them really helps you but it also helps them so this, there's a non-stop feeling of not being punished for your actions but being you might not get the benefit you hoped but you are always getting some benefit and your strategy shifts and maneuvers throughout the game based on knowing that that you're going to get at least something it might not be the timing it might not be perfect but you're always progressing and i really love that feel nice yeah i can imagine all these like back in the day like can you imagine right now if like everywhere you went everyone was basically drunk right yeah just like are just slightly buzzed at all times yeah instead of like carrying water bottles they just carry like <laughs> jugs of beer and it's just like like i can't yeah i can't imagine getting like my work done uh, <laughs> no right you think right. yeah you think about how much humanity accomplished in this era <laughs> oh and probably many of the eras <laughs> and, before this and they're all wasted <laughs> and all just drunk <laughs> They're all just kind of buzzed and just like, yeah, just happy. They say, yeah, everyone's a little happier, but also more depressed. <laughs> and maybe that's what it is because they say like the common eras were more depressive as a society. Maybe we're just not <laughs> nonstop drinking alcohol all the time. Yeah, that's the I mean, solution. That's, that, that could be. That could be. <laughs> Although back then their beer wasn't, you know, like 9% craft beer or anything. It was all like 2%. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty – yeah, it was just barely like <laughs> – colored water <laughs> it was like hops flavored water yeah uh, all right well yeah that's on my list uh of games to try as well because i've heard fantastic fantastic things yeah i think um, you'd really like this one this is one when i when we were playing i was like oh, i bet bill would really like this one it's it, it's i think it fits a lot of or it hits a lot of things that you like in games um and uh, it's just cool. It's such a great game. I definitely, I definitely think it deserves to be in the top five. And I, I would say it, it does deserve its three top three placement. Okay. Well, um, I am unveiling now my number one, which dun, is dun, probably going to piss some people off because I am not going to say as many nice things as a lot of people would say about this game. All right. This Can't is wait. an exceptionally popular game. Um, <laughs> I... I give it's ranked number four on on BGG. Um, I give it a seven. Um, BGG gives it an eight point two seven eight. So we are very much in disagreement here, um, and that's terraforming Mars. Uh, and I yes. know it's I know it's sacrilege to to say anything bad about terraforming Mars, <laughs> but I think it is too long. I think it is horrendously ugly <laughs> i think the cards it literally feels like playing sometimes like a, 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 like playing a prototype because none of the art matches like some of its photos and some of it's like almost cartoony and some like it's right it's all radically different um 
it's like somebody just it's like yeah this clip art will be great and we'll just keep it <laughs> we'll keep it in the production copy too yeah that's fine wait no did problem. we keep that oh shoot uh okay yeah uh, we meant to do that <laughs> yeah we totally did totally did um but like even the game board's ugly like i don't know it's not very very appealing i think the um the game itself and the reason i gave it a seven is because I, I play it and i have played it and i enjoy it it's fine um very much like Scythe and Through the Ages, uh, I would never suggest necessarily playing it. Um, but if somebody's like, this is my favorite game, I want to play it, I would certainly play it with them and enjoy myself. Uh, but I, I do not have the terraforming Mars love that so many of our ilk do. Mm-hmm. I don't know what an elk even is but <laughs> yeah what is an elk What's but that? i know the context <laughs> yeah yeah like uh, of our elk but um yeah i you've played terraforming mars haven't you i haven't actually this i oh. um this is another one that kind of slipped me by i've done a lot of, i've watched a lot of videos on it i i know the broad strokes of the game I, it is notorious for its art choices <laughs> and um yeah, there's there's a hardcore fan base of this game that really really like it. But I've also heard complaints. Like I know I think it was maybe shut up and sit down, um, had similar complaints or similar issues that they thought about it. Where it was just like it just seems like there's some I don't know. I'm trying to remember what they said. But anyway, it's, uh, issues with it's the, too long. Yeah, the length and then the density within it, where it sort of feels like you're stymied on doing certain things that you should should be easier to do. Um, but yeah, I know that it's a hugely popular game, though. A lot of people yeah. enjoy this game, and it can be very limiting because, like, a lot of the cards can only be used when, like, certain conditions are met. You know, like this much water and this much, you know, whatever, and or this much oxygen or what have you. And and so a lot of times you can end up with like kind of useless cards, or uh, it just. The, the deck building kind of aspect of it, I, I think. It, now, it is interesting that, that there are no duplicate cards, my understanding. At least I've never seen duplicate cards. They're all unique, which, uh, which certainly, is a, um, certainly is, is an accomplishment for sure. Uh, but it, it also, I think, kind of makes it a little difficult to really... Like, play it and then come back and say, all right, I, I have a better strategy now because a lot of that's just so based on what cards you get. Sure. And how yeah. they how they interact. And you may not get, you know, there there are great comboing cards, but you may not get anything. And I, I just think there's not enough agency there. And it's just, it's so long. Um, it can literally be four plus hours, uh, especially playing it at a full complement. And uh, I, I have never finished it. Going, man, that was so <laughs> worth it. I mean, I finished it and been like, yeah, that was fun. I had a good time. Um, it was a little long. That's really legitimately what I think I've probably said after every time I've played it. <laughs> uh, it just doesn't have the the payoff. Very similar, like to my complaint with Through the Ages. It's a lot of play with very little payoff at the end. It just. Uh, uh, it doesn't feel worth it yeah. when you finish it. And some games, some really long games, like I think that um, TI4, 
is a classic example, an eight, nine, ten hour game that when you're done with it, you're like, wow, that was yeah. amazing. I don't want to immediately do it again, but but it was great. So it, it just feels like a bigger payoff for some reason. Um, sure. Terraforming Mars has just never really given me that. So um, I am I would like to try uh, Terraforming Mars, the Ares, um, ex- Ares Expedition. Because oh, sure. my understanding is it's terraforming Mars, but more streamlined and supposed to be faster. More of like a two-hour or less game. And that's okay. just what I, I believe just from what I have seen about it. But it's uh, it, it's kind of referred to uh, by a lot of people as like terraforming Mars light. And, and that really sounds way more up my alley because I like the mechanisms in terraforming mars and i like the the gameplay it's just it's just too long yeah 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 that makes sense i i've kind of this one is definitely what i'm interested in but i also not yeah it's like eh, i don't know <laughs> so terrifying yeah terrifying mars aries looks like it's listed at 45 to 60 so that yeah that's a quite a crunch and efficiency between yeah, the two if you ever want to play terraforming mars larry has it Oh, he does the original. Yep. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, How does, you, what does Larry think about it? Um, he likes it as solo. He plays it solo. Oh, okay. Um, I don't think he's ever played it multiplayer. But if you ever got, you know, three or four hours with nothing to do and uh, <laughs> just want to try out terraforming Mars, I, he's he's got it. All right. Yeah, I would definitely play it. I would definitely check it out. It is such a notorious game for a variety of reasons, good and bad. <laughs> but it definitely, like we said, has a quite a fan base. It does. It does. And so I, I, I do feel almost embarrassed in saying that I don't love it. It's it's yeah. fine. It's fine. Um, but I'm not. <laughs> I'm not going to go like. Yeah, I'm not going to go out and like like fight anybody over it being a good game. <laughs> right. <laughs> so. I'm fighting words in this section of the game night. Yeah. Um, yeah, fair enough. All right. Well, my number one is uh, the the last vestige or the only vestige of the legacy <laughs> trend <laughs> that started a couple of years ago and continues to this day. But definitely everyone's like, this is what games are going to be from now on, legacy games. And it was not to be. But that's no. fine. Uh, that makes sense. There, there are some good ones out there, but uh, and this one I think is one of the examples of one a great one, and that is Pandemic Legacy, specifically season one. Uh, season two is on here, and I do own it, but it is not in the. Uh, it didn't make it into my top ten as ranked by BGG. Uh, but it's also up here somewhere. I can't remember exactly where it is. But uh, Pandemic Legacy is a game that I've been playing for two or three years now <laughs> i uh my wife have been working our way through this and it is great i will admit that it is an awesome awesome game we when i think like many people when they got back into gaming or in recent times jumped modern gaming's kickoff was the pandemic series one of the best examples of really good modern game design that sort of got very popular very quickly uh, was pandemic and mm-hmm. we were no exception. I really love Pandemic. My wife does as well. And so when the Legacy games came out, I was very interested. And I ended up picking picking it up and we started playing it. But it is a heck of a commitment. And uh, we've been kind of – kind of how I mentioned about Arkham Horror LCG and others. 
it's more of a seasonal game for us when we have time as the season slows down um you know especially in this time of late or a fall and early winter that's when we tend to play this game a bunch and kind of progress our story which is a little difficult to do for a legacy game because you're like wait what were we doing last year and uh (laughs) what is happening in this world um and you know pandemic is all about tension and uh urgency <laughs> and you're like ah we'll give we'll quit our cdc jobs for a year and hope it all plays out fine and <laughs> touch base with you guys in the air and see if everyone's alive <laughs> oh nothing progressed great <laughs> <laughs> still everyone's still sick okay that's what we thought don't worry we're back we'll figure something out uh it's great though they did an amazing job and as one of the earlier um pandemic or sorry legacy games it's impressive to me how well thought out the legacy version of this game is it lends itself well to legacy though of like a worldwide pandemic developing and then all the doctors and researchers of the world have to come together to try to solve it or off or to you know um, get in its way and slow it down so the theme lends itself very very well to pandemic or to legacy and they just did an amazingly good job whether it's the second best game of all time i don't know i don't know it is a really good game and a really fun game. And I enjoy revisiting and coming back to it when we do. And it you definitely get your money's worth for this game. I mean, my God, I've been playing this for two to three years. I'm probably going to play it for another couple of years before we finally get all the way through it. And so I'm definitely getting my money's worth there. And I'm enjoying every time we play. But I'm also kind of enjoying the breaks from it too. So I kind of let it sink in and the plays sink in. Um, so I don't know. that three Number two, or what did I say, three, seems a Oh, no, it's number two. Number two seems a bit high, but I definitely think it deserves to be up there for sure. Okay. Yeah, I, uh, I, I'm I, a big Pandemic fan in general. I have not played uh, either of the Legacy games, but um, yeah, I think, I think the idea that all games are eventually going to be Legacy games is a fun one, but right. I, think, I think Legacy games are... A too expensive to produce correctly, yeah, and B just too hard to design, yeah, really well. Sure. I mean, you can count on one hand the number of great legacy games. Uh, I've heard Risk Legacy was uh, was actually really really well uh, well received. The the pandemics, but then after that, like Seafall was garbage. Yeah, oh, it's too bad. Such a started out good, and then it just sort it of did meandered. start out good, and then you're just like, "What is happening?" Yeah, for no apparent reason. I don't right. even understand. Right. Um, but like most of them are just I don't know, sort of uh, me- mediocre. I guess I've heard good things about um, like the uh, what is it the uh, betrayal. Uh-huh. Uh, Betrayal at House on the Hill. I've heard uh, that legacy game is yeah. really good, but then I've also heard that it kind of goes downhill, like that it yeah. d- isn't as good, doesn't finish as strong. So I, I just think legacy games are too hard to fully design that way. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. It sort of it, it it kind of it's a game too where you see a lot of games that they make they maybe shortcuts things or one thing or another for a variety of reasons that happens in board game design and production. Uh, the art might suffer, or maybe you you release it 
you know, like we've talked about this before. It's like some games you feel, oh, they could have done another pass on this, and they didn't. And that's fine. It, it is a business. Some games get released because it's just it's time to release them versus we haven't created the perfect game ever. Um, and it just – you felt those issues exaggerated, I think, a bit in Legacy where – you'd be playing for a long time and then yeah it starts falling apart and seafall is a good example of that where it just sort of kind of started falling apart or not it just got away from what it was or what you were doing and you're kind of like why are we over here <laughs> um yeah so i totally agree with all of what you just said yeah. about it and and i feel like the uh the impossibility of being able to play test all the different paths sure in yeah. a legacy game like you could play the same legacy game a hundred times and not have end up with the same, you know, stickers in the same place on the same board and opening the same envelopes or destroying the same cards or whatever. So, so how do you play test realistically? Yeah. Like how would you play test every possibility? You just have to incorporate the mechanisms and just hope that they work without any sort of unforeseen interaction or something happening. And I, I think that can kind of sabotage the the legacy experience as well well and also as a culture board gamers are kind of fickle like people replay a lot of the same games but with legacy the whole point is you're regularly joining this game and like for pandemic legacy you know you're going over the course of the year and it's by month so you're at least doing 12 playthroughs probably or not not at least you could do do a couple seasons or a couple months at, at once in one playthrough but you know, for us, why I like taking a break from it is like we play it, we really like it, but then it's like, okay, I'm kind of ready to step away from the pandemic world <laughs> to do other other things. And it just seems like a lot of people have the experience with legacies. It's kind of like video games this, these days. When you talk to people of all these AAA games, it's like no one ever finished the, finishes them. And I'd be curious to right. know the rate of completion for legacy games. I'll bet it's small. Yeah, because uh, I, so. I know a lot of people who even even with pandemic season one, they're like, yeah, we we played through it uh, about half, maybe half. I don't know. We, we, you know, played however much for a while and yeah, just sort of stopped and don't know if we'll get back into it because now like, yeah, you go into it a year later and you're like, I don't remember anything that happened. So, it, yeah, I think I think a, t- a lot of legacy games get sort of half played yeah which is unfortunate but uh that's kind of kind of to be expected so yeah all I right i wonder what the shortest ones are i'm trying to think because I, I, I was actually just thinking there's actually the top two games on bgg are legacy games so gloomhaven is yeah. you could call it a legacy game for sure and then pandemic um are the top two so that is interesting that people still see them or they've they've rose to the top as being some of the best examples of design but once again if people aren't finishing them that also what does that mean so right yeah and i does does anybody finish gloomhaven i mean no no you either burn out on it or you get close and then everyone leaves you and then you're by yourself and you're like oh i don't want to play by myself right right so, so yeah that's what happens anyway. to me, like 500 hours of content. <laughs> <laughs> right. That was just ridiculous. Honestly, it's just insane to think that's – like there is a benefit to releasing several games, sequels, you know, expansions. There is a reason why that works a little bit better than just here's it all for right. $200. And, um, yeah. All right. Well, there we go. Five to one. That was uh, that was nice. It was nice to revisit those, yeah. a lot of those games and see where they, they sit right now. 
for sure. We'll we'll be doing. I I'd like to get more into because uh, we used to do a lot of top ten lists or top yeah. five lists. Yeah, we haven't done a lot. I, of uh, yeah, I I it was nice to get back in that format, and I think it's something I would very much like to revisit more. Yeah, yeah, and also just kind of I'm also fascinated in the BGG ranking system and how it ranks other things like. Um, not just overall rankings, but like a variety of you know genres of games, how those play out, and what BGG considers uh, in their compendium of rankings. You know what co-op games, maybe the, their rankings of co-op games, or their ranking of um, I don't know card games, or even rolling rights or flipping rights. I'd be fascinated to see like what what the consensus is on how those lay out uh, as well. Yeah, agreed, agreed. All right, everybody. Well, you can give us some suggestions about where we should take this, uh, our new uh, top tens and approach right now, or revisiting ourselves. Um, I'm excited to do that as well. But maybe you've got some suggestions or things that we could think of as categories for that, or any other suggestion. You can get a hold of us in a couple different ways at chits and. Or I'm sorry. <laughs> that is wrong. That is totally wrong. <laughs> almost. I almost said it. Uh, at Twitter and Instagram is what I meant to say. And that is at Roasted Games One. <laughs> You can also go to uh, Facebook and find us there at Roasted Games. And, of course, you can go to our podcast hosting page, eavesdrop.com, and scroll down to the Roasted Games page and fill out our comment form. And we would love to hear from you. It's always nice to hear from people and their thoughts on what we're talking about or some suggestions on things we could talk about. So until until next episode, everybody, thank you all for listening, and we will catch you on the next one. Bye.